You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it, and I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. I'm Edith. And I'm Lizette. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Today we'll be speaking with Viviana Onofe. Viviana has worked in banking for 19 years. She currently resides in Texas with her family. And on this episode, we'll discuss her follicular lymphoma diagnosis that she received back in November 2015, the impact it had on her life, and her overall cancer journey. So thank you so much for joining us, and welcome, Viviana. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to speak. Of course. Now, Viviana, for our listeners who don't know what follicular lymphoma is, follicular lymphoma is the most common subtype of indolent NHL or non-Hodgkin lymphoma, indolent meaning slow-growing. So when indolent lymphoma are first diagnosed, patients have fewer signs and symptoms than patients with aggressive lymphoma subtypes, aggressive meaning fast growing. Viviana, what was the case for you? Were there any obvious signs and symptoms around your time of diagnosis? No, I had only felt a slight little lump in my neck after a massage. So I just, you know, thought that maybe it was related to that, you know, didn't mention anything to my husband, and I then crazy things happened in my life that I just forgot about it. Interesting. And was it painful at all? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of silly because I've never seen when I get a massage to have like a lump, but, you know, maybe I thought they did it wrong. But no, it wasn't painful at all, which maybe that might have been the first kind of thought that maybe it wasn't normal, but no, no pain. So just kind of left it at the back of my mind. And so with having no pain and no obvious signs or symptoms, how were you diagnosed? I had no symptoms, and actually earlier in the year, my regular doctor had told me that I was kind of the picture of health, right? So I went to my well woman exam in September, and again, no symptoms other than that little lump that I totally forgot about. And it was during that exam that the the doctor, the OB Jean, told me, hey, you know, you're kind of up for another mammogram because I had had one in the past. And I didn't think much about it. She didn't tell me that she had any concerns. So I had my mammogram, and then they called me afterwards and told me that they needed me to go in for an ultrasound because they had found a lump in my armpit. And so I wasn't very good about doing the breast exam, self-exams, but I never would have thought to do the armpit, so I didn't know about it. And, you know, I didn't worry too much because I thought, you know, maybe it's a cyst or something. And then after the ultrasound, when I was there, the technician told me that, yes, it was a swollen lymph nodes, and I had more swollen lymph nodes in my chest. And then that lump that I have filed, 
she checked it and she said that it was also a stolen lymph node. And, you know, she asked me had I lost weight or had night sweats. And I said, no, nothing at all. And then a little bit after the ultrasound, so in November, they did a biopsy. And then when the results came, my OBGYN called me and told me that it was follicular lymphoma and that I needed to go see a hematologist oncologist. It was just totally out of the blue, unexpected. I don't even think my OBGYN thought she was going to be telling me I had a lymphoma. It's interesting when you hear about these diagnoses happening from a specialist that you wouldn't necessarily think of as the primary person. Yeah. My doctor didn't say, hey, you have maybe higher white cells or something, right? The typical blood work that you get doesn't show or doesn't, maybe they don't look for certain things that you would see when you do the blood work whenever you go, you know, whenever I go to my my exams with my oncologist. Right. You're feeling fine the entire time. And they're giving us information that you might have something else, but they're still doing testing and they're telling you that there's more soul than lymph nodes. What's going on in your mind during this time? Are you busy and thinking that whatever, if it's serious, they'll let you know, but not thinking about it? Where were you mentally? So it was like a process. So first when they told me about the ultrasound and that there was a solemn lymph node, I checked my armpit and sure enough, I felt it and I was like, oh. But my mom had had cysts before, so I was like, oh, okay, maybe something like that, right? It wasn't, I think, after, I think it was at the time when I was having the ultrasound and the technician mentioned lymphoma that I just kind of felt like the floor just, you know, I don't know, it was floored, right? And so, but again, I say, you know, just don't freak out. Try to not dwell too much into it. I think that in between the ultrasound and the biopsy, I was just, you know, kind of just praying that it wasn't anything serious. My first thought was how much time, because at that time, my youngest was seven years old. So I guess that was, for me, the hardest part. And then when I got the biopsy and I got the diagnosis, then it really hit me a little bit more in the sense of, okay, what is the prognosis? Like, how many years are we talking about, right? And kind of just comparing that to how old my child was, you know, my youngest, and my other two were still not that much older. And just kind of going through, okay, what if it's five years? Well, how much, you know, kind of how much years she's going to have? If it's 10, you know, things like that, that you suddenly realize that, well, five to 10 years isn't, you know, not enough, right? But I've always had an attitude of, you know, just dwelling too much on things is never good. What is already is, whether I worry about it or not. And if yeah. my, if I, would let myself get too much, it was just going to be too much. After a period of, oh my God, and hyperventilating and kind of thinking is not fair and, and angry, one day I said, you know what, you know, you just have to stop. And again, what it is, is already is. No matter how much amount of worry you do, it ain't going to make me better. So it was kind of like a, a journey. I guess that was, was that would have been like the first survival, you know, because they call survivors. And so everybody's different, but the first survival that you have is from hearing the news in that process. Now, when you heard you had lymphoma, did you know what lymphoma was? I knew what lymphoma was because, I guess, 
funny, I don't know if it's funny or kind of got worse in mysterious ways. I had become involved with LLS through the Light the Night Walk. And an individual had come to my work office to talk so that we would put a team together. And so he was diagnosed with follicular lymphoma, and it was in his 30s, similar to me, because I was 37 when I was diagnosed. Mm. And so so I knew what follicular lymphoma was in terms of the name. What particularly it was, no, because you never research it until you need it. Right, um, right. So I had heard the name. I didn't know the particulars. Oh, and you already knew somebody that had follicular lymphoma. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I guess that also kind of at the beginning kind of helped maybe a little bit because I had the image or the example of somebody that had had a lymphoma diagnosis young, and he had been, I think when he wanted to talk to us, he had been like, I don't know, 10, 15 years in remission. Yeah, so at least knowing somebody and They've gone through treatment can give you that hope. Yeah, straight yeah, from the did. beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, did the doctors let you know that there were so many different types of non-Hodgkin lymphoma? As Alicia said in the beginning, there's actually so many types, and some are slow-growing, some are aggressive, and the actual goal of treatment for slow-growing non-Hodgkin lymphomas versus Aggressive non-Hodgkin lymphomas is very different. Did they go into all of that with you at the beginning? Well, I did some research, not the doctor. The doctor did explain at the beginning what follicular lymphoma was and my particular type, meaning how far it has spread, right? I had done some research, so I knew there were a ton of non-Hodgkin's lymphomas and kind of where each one was placed in the sense of indolent and what indolent meant. So in doing that research, it also helped that many coworkers in my office also kind of gave me information. So when I went to the doctor, he focused on mine and I had an idea of the differences. And did they tell you the goal of your treatment? Did they utilize the word cure with you or did they say that this is going to be something that at this point is not curable? Yeah, so from the beginning, the doctor said that, you know, this wasn't going to go away, that unlike other cancers, there was not a cure, and that the idea was to put it, so to speak, to sleep, and yeah. it could come back. And But he also told me that it's low-growing, and he told me, there I have seen patients who years pass, and they end up dying not by this type of cancer. They die mm-hmm. by something else. So... He gave me, he tried to alleviate my concerns, knowing that I was younger and have yeah. children, like try not to worry too much, right? And so he did explain that, and I ended up going to MD Anderson. The doctor at the beginning told me, let's, you know, he says, let's see what the scan shows, because if you do have several nodes in several areas and he kind of explained and went about what are the reasons under which we would treat versus there's also what they do with my type of cancer, which is wait and see, meaning you don't do anything and you just kind of monitor it. So he did tell me the circumstances under which treatment would be considered. And so 
then after the scan, it came back that I needed to be one of those that needed to be treated because I had lymph nodes, swollen lymph nodes in all parts of my body, upper, bottom, left, right. And that I think there was some, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a little bit of inflammation in some organs. So again, there were enough things in the exam that made him think that we needed to have treatment. They also did a bone marrow biopsy that came out with also having follicular lymphoma in it. And the doctor had told me, we're going to do this, and most likely this is going to happen. It's going to be that you're going to show that there's cancer there too, right? So mm-hmm. again, all of that put together, the doctor said, you know, you, we do need to treat you. And the goal was going to be, we'll give you treatment so we can put you in remission. We didn't talk about afterwards what would happen. Right. Now, you mentioned that you went to a larger cancer center. What brought you to the larger cancer center? So whenever I first heard, my OB-GYN gave me options. She had done some research and gave me names of things that were close to my home. But then she said, but... I would strongly advise to consider MD Anderson because it's so, you know, here in in Houston, it's a well-known cancer center focused on cancer, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so she told me that. And then also, like I said, I knew people that had been, you know, new or new people that had had lymphomas, right? And so all of them said, we suggest go to MD Anderson. I actually got names of doctors and they were all in MD Anderson. So I just went to that one because I just heard that, hey, they're the specialists, they're focused on this. I did have other options because for me, MD Anderson is about like an hour away. Okay. So there were other options in where I live, but for me it was a decision, you know what? They're the specialists. They do a lot of research on it. So I think, you know, not only being the specialist, but they might be at the forefront of any new things that are coming out. And so that's that's why when I had decided going to a large center. Sure. Here at LLS, we try to encourage our patients, if you can, to go to one of these larger National Cancer Institute designated cancer centers because, like you said, there's specialists there. And our blood cancers aren't the most prevalent cancers out there. So if you can get, you know, information from a specialist, that's something that we would deeply encourage. And I'm glad that you were able to. It does make a difference with treatment since our blood cancers, like I said, are not the most common. Um, so it does make a difference. And there's so many new treatments out there specifically for our blood cancers, that I think it's really important to be able to get that second opinion or to get more information about the treatments available because things are changing with the blood cancers. And, and um, you know, we're really excited about having more treatments out there for people. So I'm glad that you were able to go to a larger center, see a specialist. I'm glad that you had that support to really tell you it's really great to see a specialist. And I'm happy that you knew about the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society from the beginning, right? There's some folks out there that don't know about us, and we really want to make sure that everybody knows about us, especially, you know, if they're 
just diagnosed because we want to give people so much support right at diagnosis all throughout the cancer journey. So did you utilize any of our resources? I know it's so difficult. You know, you try to research once you're diagnosed, like you said. So whenever I was first diagnosed, so it's funny, but you kind of go into this blank, right? So I knew about LLS. I knew about Light the Not Walk. But it never dawned on me when I was first told to just go to LLS. Most of the research that I got, it was either something that my husband looked up or that one of my – because when I was diagnosed, I was at a work lunch. The coworker, the very first person that knew about this was the coworker I was with. So we got back to the office, and she immediately went online and researched. LLS has this resource. They put me in contact with not the individual that had gone to my office, but another one that had been diagnosed around the same time, same age. So we talked, and, you know, they explained a little bit more. They asked me about my diagnosis, and they explained a little bit more, and they kind of talked to me about their journey from the beginning and then later. And so that one, I'm going to say that was like a game changer as well. You know, not just knowing somebody that wanted to talk to me, but actually talking to someone at the moment, explaining you differences, telling them, hey, look, you can expect this or that. And also telling you, look, traditionally, this is what we would, this is how they treat, but more things have happened, right? And another thing that also helps is telling me his journey while being treated, kind of how he felt. So that helped tremendously. That alleviated a lot of my anxiety uh, in the initial, you know, when I was initially diagnosed. The one thing that I really liked was the LLS puts together a lot of education lunches or conferences and webinars. And so at the beginning, that was also very helpful because in terms of the conferences, and mostly on the lunches, you're able to talk with other survivors. And it really helps you put things into perspective. You hear their stories, what they're going through, how they're being treated, And it gives you a sense of perspective so that you could say, okay, how am I and, you know, kind of how are they, right? And also know about the many different options that there are. And then, you know, in the conferences, because you have specialists over there, you can hear what is being done on your particular cancer and what they're looking at for future therapies. And so those resources really helped and talking about the many topics that one can have as a survivor. So those were the resources that I used with LLS and found very helpful. Great. Viviana, what advice about your cancer journey would you share with other patients and caregivers listening today? Well, I think that, you know, the first thing is, you know, try to get educated and because education or knowledge is key. But the most important one is that attitude is also very important. Try to stay positive. I understand that, you know, my journey, thankfully, I didn't have that many side effects with my treatment. So my journey might be very different than others. But at the end of the day, you just need to try to stay positive. We didn't get a choice in this diagnosis. Uh, No matter how you slice or dice it, if it was, if you think it was maybe you did something 
in the past or just plain bad luck, you can't change it. That's out of your control. So, but we do have a choice of what we want to do once we're diagnosed. Do we want to let this define who we are? Or do we just want to say, okay, I acknowledge my negative feelings, right? I accept them. I acknowledge that I might be angry and that I might be scared, but I don't let them overwhelm me or get me too much, right? And I just accept them and accept that this is going to be part of my life and just keep moving. If you talk to more people, you're able to see that sometimes, no matter what you're hearing, there is always somebody that's going to have it harder. You need to take that and put things into perspective and not get carried away. And, you know, share your story because other people will gain hope or will learn or get something from your story. So, again, and this is an everyday process. I mean, I got a very good response with my treatment, but now it has, you know, I didn't last in remission too long, so I have, again, stolen lymph notes. So it's an everyday process of trying to stay positive and try to focus on the things that you have control on, not on the ones that you don't. And feel the pain, feel the anger, feel the unfairness, but don't let it get too too much that it doesn't let you keep going. So that would be my advice. Very wise words. A patient never goes through this journey alone. How important is the role of the caregiver? I think it is very important. And for me, personally, kind of odd because I'm, since I have smaller kids and I've taken like this, this idea of I need to be strong, right? So I think the caregiver is important to give you the support. And I would tell people, try not to get too much into, I need to be strong for everybody, that you're not able to let yourself be taken care of. And every caregiver and survivor relationship is different. You know, for example, I'm not the type of person that whenever I was diagnosed, I was like, oh, okay, well, now everybody has to take care of me and I'm going to look into insurance or into all those things. And, you know, with my husband, I've always been the one that deals with that right? And so I continue doing it. Thankfully, I wasn't feeling sick that I could. So I was the one calling the insurance and all of that. But what I'm trying to say with this is that the relationship of a caregiver and a, and a survivor is, is different for everybody. But still, you need to have that person where you can, you know, lean on. I remember the first time that the doctor came back and said, hey, just a couple of months ago, that you're, you know, you're no longer in remission and the, you have stolen lymph nodes again, it made a huge difference to have my husband there because he always goes to the appointments with me. And be able to just kind of, how to say it, not keep it together anymore and have somebody there to be, you know, just simple holding your hand and be there. So, again, even if you're the type of person that, you know, kind of has to keep it all together and be strong for your family so they, they don't feel it as much, it's good to have that caregiver or partner to be able to let go sometimes of that whole, oh, you know, I'm keeping it together kind of thing. Sure. Viviana, I mean, it sounds like, again, you had such great support and your side effects weren't anything that prevented you from doing things that you were basically doing every day. 
what resources do you use that help you address things either psychosocially or or other ways? With my experience and my treatment having almost no side effects, it made me realize that I needed to share my story to mm-hmm. kind of try to give hope. I've been involved with LLS, not just the Life and Art Walk, and I've met other people that have been diagnosed. And so that is a resource I also, I think it's also a resource because you can be there for each other, right? So trying to stay connected with other survivors through the, wherever options you find, whether it be LLS or another organization, but to just trying to stay connected because you can form a support group because there are things as a survivor that, and if if you kind of like are, the type that feels, you know, I have to kind of be strong, right? There are things you might not share with your caregiver or even your support group, like other friends that, you know, they haven't gone through this. So Mm -hmm. there are things you just can't share. Or even if you you share, they don't understand. So having that connectivity with others that are going through this or have gone through it helps with those things that, you know, others won't understand, right? And then the other resources is mostly LLS, you know, the webinars. I sign up for the advocacy group to just see what's going out there, what they're doing in terms of lobbying. And, you know, the webinars and education. And I've even gotten some of the webinars that LLS has done with other organizations, like I think Triage cancer was the most recent that I heard, which was very helpful because they were talking about things like, you know, insurance and workers' comp, you know, the benefits you have as a survivor, right? Things I didn't even know. So I guess the advice, long story short, is just stay connected, get involved to whatever level you want, but to get those resources of information, like sign up for you know, newsletters or things like that so that you get that information because, again, information is power and it helps with not make you create this negative outcome and kind of put things more into perspective. Uh, and definitely, I continue to be involved with the light that I walk. And so that has also been a really, for me personally, a really nice visual way of seeing all of the support and that, you know, I'm not alone in this and kind of how everyone's journey has been different is kind of keep connected. Absolutely. And you mentioned something that I, I would love to shine light on. The more accurate information you have, the better this entire situation is. Because like you said, you hear the word cancer and for your experience, the floor dropped from beneath you. And we've heard similar stories where you hear the word and everything, you start Googling, you start trying to figure it out for yourself, what's going to be your treatment. And and it can be overwhelming. And so it's so important to understand that there is information out there. And I'm so happy to hear that you find our telewebs useful for credible information. I know earlier Lizette mentioned that we encourage people to visit large cancer centers. However, we know that Many don't have that option, and so we encourage everyone to contact our LLS information specialist who helps to assist a patient, a caregiver, through a cancer journey, answering questions about treatment, financial and social challenges, and they give accurate and up-to-date information. They're not doctors, but they are master's-level oncology social workers, nurses, and health educators. So for those listening, we encourage you to give them a call 
Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at 1-800-955-4572. So thank you again, Viviana, for shining light on the importance of accurate information. Thank you. If I may add a little bit more on that, I would say that that even gives you more up-to-date information because originally I remember Googling prognosis, right? And the results I would get were very dated, not very positive. And so definitely LLS has helped get more updated information in my particular type. Absolutely. And we're so happy to hear that. Viviana, is there anything that you feel we haven't shared with our patients and caregivers listening that you think would be important for them to know? I guess one one word of advice, whoever does it, survivor or caregiver, whenever you get diagnosed, and I know this is not going to be forefront, but, you know, at some point, get into the details of your insurance. I'm a detailed person just because of where I work, right? But if you never read or you just sign up for insurance, you know, if your work, right? If you just sign up, pick the plan and kind of look at the cost, and you never took the time to kind of look at the details, this is the moment where you need to look at the details. So whether it's the survivor, if they have the mind for that, or the caregiver. Because why I say that? Because it will take a lot of the angst that you can experience at the beginning with dealing with insurance so that if you are prepared and know what you can expect, Whenever you start dealing with them, because it is hard at the beginning, you have knowledge. Right. I know that when we spoke before this podcast, you were trying to get into a new clinical trial, right? And due to insurance issues, you couldn't get into the specific one that I think you and your doctor were looking at. Is that correct? Yes. It took some time for me to be treated because I was diagnosed in November and started getting treated, I think, in May following year. They originally wanted me to get into a clinical trial that they were putting together, right? And, you know, you kind of sit back and thought, well, I mean, if they're dealing with this, they're going to be the ones to check whether it's covered or not. And all the time that I was having conversations with them, they were like, oh, the insurance covers it, the insurance covers it. Well, long story short, we're ready to get, you know, the clinical trial is getting opened because it, it had been when I was first diagnosed, it, has, it was starting, right? They had to do all the administrative stuff. So anyway, long story short, by the time they're getting ready to start enrolling people, then they check, and oh, no, my insurance doesn't cover it. And so that just created a very negative experience in the sense that they're telling you, uh, because the reason they wanted to put me there was because one of the medicines that I had was considered a, like a newer, or it wasn't like FDA-approved, kind of therapy for my type, and it was a very expensive medicine, and so sometimes they had problems with insurance covering it. But if you went the clinical trial route, you would get the medicines for free, and then you wouldn't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Well, again, long story short, my insurance didn't approve it, and all this time they were telling me, oh, this is going to be so great for you, and this is, you know, this is going to, we have so good outcomes. So when you hear that it cannot be covered, right, and that there's a potential that the insurance won't cover the medicine, that it's $17,000 a month. Oh, wow. You're like, oh, my God. I mean, I remember crying and being so 
disturbed when they told me the insurance didn't cover it and just say, why didn't anybody check beforehand? Because then now it's going to happen. I felt like, like, oh my God, this could be life changing. Thankfully, that didn't happen. My insurance did cover the very expensive medicine. And so I was able to get treated with two of the three medicines that were on the trial and had a good response. But if you had, I had taken it upon myself or my husband to look at the details of our insurance, we could have known beforehand all of this and maybe not make a change, but know beforehand. So it wasn't a surprise and it wasn't a feeling of, oh my God, does that mean that now I'm going to get the traditional chemo and lose my hair and get super sick? You know, kind of that difference. So that's kind of why I give that advice and understand as well. I mean, a lot of the people that listen are already survivors and know all of this, but if there are anybody that is new, it's not going to be easy at the beginning. You would think that an insurance company hears cancer diagnosis and everything is smooth or doing a scan and everything goes smoothly. It does not. It's difficult, so don't stress too much. That is normal. (laughs) That's not just to you, right? But yeah, that's kind of my advice, additional advice. That's great advice. It is. Very well said. Thank you. And I know that it's a newer offering here, but at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, we do have nurse navigators that do help and assist patients and caregivers to find and to see if a clinical trial is appropriate and to help with all of these issues that you did bring up. So our clinical trial support center definitely is here to help patients and caregivers look into clinical trials as an option and to help with all of those things and and to have all of those questions to ask your doctor, like you said, you know, to be prepared to know more about the trials and the treatment options. Absolutely. Now, Viviana, we're going to play a little game. Okay. <laughs> so on our website, we have a statement that says, after diagnosis comes hope. If you were to fill in that last word, based off of your experience and everything that you've gone through, how would you finish that sentence? After diagnosis comes. Oh, okay. I'm going to take a little while to think about this. I think I would add growth. Mm. After diagnosis comes growth. And just to kind of explain a little bit is from all of this, believe me, I wish I didn't, I wouldn't have gone through it, but I've grown as a person. If you can't control it, don't dwell on it. And if you can, do something about it. That helped. That point of view kind of helped. But this experience made me grow even more from that. It made it even clear that there are things outside of my control that just have to accept them and move on. And then also let me see how blessed I am. And so that's that's why I choose growth. I think that's awesome and so true. And there's no better way to end this episode. So thank you so much for joining us today, Viviana, and for sharing your story. Thank you very much uh, for having me and giving me the opportunity to share my story. Very well said. Thank you for inspiring us and inspiring others. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.